So join me in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1, 26 to 38. As we really continue um, at this very brief series on the promise of Advent. Uh, last week we looked at the promise in the prophecy of Micah. And today we will see the promise of God to this little virgin girl. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, in the sixth month, and that's the sixth month after the angel Gabriel had gone to Zechariah and announced to him that his barren wife, Elizabeth, would bear the forerunner of Messiah, John the Baptist. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How? How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, Lord, in the middle of this hectic season... And these familiar words, don't let us miss the clarity of your message of the gospel and of hope and of your faithfulness to your promises. Don't let us be busy mentally with what's coming later today or lulled to sleep because we think we know this story. But may it meet us fresh by the renewing power of your Spirit for our good and your glory, we pray in Jesus. Amen. And so when God decides to do something big on earth, He's often done it through a miraculous birth. He did that with Abraham and Sarah. You know, old, barren, never able to have children, well past retirement. But then God shows up and says, you're going to have a baby. And they didn't even believe it until He did it. He did the same with Samson's parents and judges and Hannah in 1 Samuel and others, just showing again and again that he, he really is good at bringing new life where there was no life before. He can awaken a dead womb. And so to signal the, the biggest miracle of all, the coming of the promised Christ into the world, he does a double birth miracle. First to Elizabeth, uh, like Sarah, a barren old woman, never able to have children. And yet the angel comes and says to her husband back in verse 13, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. 
For your prayers have been heard and your wife Elizabeth is going to bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And now to Mary, a little virgin girl from a tiny little town who's never been intimate with a man. And he says, you will bear the miracle of God's son. And that's the story we want to look at here this morning. God's promise to this little virgin girl. And so we began with this encounter, Mary's troubling encounter with this angel. Verse 26 says, six months later, God sent Gabriel to the town of Nazareth, a city in Galilee, to a virgin betrothed to a man who was named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. First of all, just think of what a strange meeting this is. God sends Gabriel, this high-status angel from what we know, straight from the courts of heaven to an obscure little village called Nazareth. Nobody's ever heard of Nazareth. Nothing important has ever happened there. It's 85 miles from Jerusalem, tucked away in rural Galilee, um, a a nowhere Kansas kind of place, to a low-status girl named Mary. Someone said that she's a nobody in a nothing little town out in the middle of nowhere. And when I say nobody, remember that women in general had no real status or standing in that culture, but especially not a young woman from a rural family. Mary is probably in her early teens at best. The fact that she is betrothed uh, indicates that to us. Uh, That process in that day and that culture uh, began somewhere around the age of 12 to 15 years of age. Uh, And it means by being betrothed that her family has given permission for her to marry Joseph. And the preparations have begun. Um, There would have been a celebration publicly. And then she would have continued uh, to live at home with her parents for about a year while he prepared a home for them. And during that year, they would have been kept apart sexually and physically because they, they rightly valued uh, that, that, that purity of marriage, the, the marriage bed to be pure. And so notice we're indicated that twice in the first verse we're told that she is a virgin, a, a teenage girl preparing for her wedding day to a man whose only claim to fame really is that he is a descendant of David. And so two facts that become important. She's a virgin preparing for marriage. He is a descendant of David. And then look at this troubling greeting. This this greeting as mighty Gabriel bursts in upon her world. Picking up in verse 28, and he, Gabriel, came to her, and it seems like just out of the blue, and says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I mean, put yourself in the scene. Can you imagine the shock of this glorious man suddenly standing before you like this? And normally in that culture, men simply did not come up to young women and speak uh, anyway. This would have been incredibly strange for this man, even if he wasn't glorious. We don't know what he looked like. Did he look simply like a man or, or was he in a glorious apparel? We don't know. But nothing like this has happened to her a day in her life. And even more shocking 
are the words that he says. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Greetings. Literally, that means rejoice. Joy to you, young lady. Why? Because you have been favored with grace. You are a recipient of grace. The words here are very important because they don't mean that Mary herself is full of grace as if she was somehow the source of this grace. That's, that's an old medieval Catholic misreading of the passage. This is not, Hail Mary, full of grace. That's a mistranslation. You know, look to Mary for grace. No, no. Again, Mary is not the source of grace in this statement. She is the subject of this grace. She's not receiving a commendation or reward for her good character, you know, something she has earned. She is receiving unmerited favor from God that no one could deserve or earn. That's why it's shocking. God's goodness is being lavished on her. He he, he has graciously chosen her. The language here is is what is usually called a divine passive. God is bestowing this grace upon her free of charge out of the kindness and goodness of His own character for her benefit. And that's what's puzzling to her. Oh, more than puzzling, notice verse 29, she is distressed. It says that she was greatly troubled by this, filled with anxiety. She's shaken. And wouldn't you be? And not just by the words again, but by, and not just by the event, excuse me, but by the words themselves. Why am I being told such things? Why me? I'm just a little girl from Nazareth. Which leads to this amazing assurance. No doubt seeing her alarm, Gabriel very quickly adds in verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Don't be afraid, Mary. I'm sure she was trembling from head to foot. This is life-altering. Don't be afraid. How many times have we heard that in Scripture? Oh, I counted. 66 in the ESV anyway. There is something terrifying when you suddenly realize you are in the presence of God. That He is near. That He is glorious. That He is holy. And that He is speaking to you. Even if it's through an angel. Do not be afraid. Why? Because you have found favor with God. And again, that word favor, it's the word grace, charis. The reason Mary should not be afraid is because God has given her grace. God has chosen to be merciful to her. Again, this is not a statement about something in her that she brings to the table. This is a statement of God's gracious election. God has chosen this kindness for her. Which means no matter how scary this gets, no matter how how terrifying the whole concept is, all will be well. For He is with her. And He is going to work through her. 
Do you understand, dear Christian, if you are a Christian, do you understand we can say the same thing about you? Every Christian here, oh, please hear me. Every Christian needs to take these words to heart. You have found favor with God. That's what salvation by grace means. See, you're not seeking a reward for your good works or your good behavior. This is not about you. You are depending entirely upon the grace of God. Again, Mary is not the source here. She is the recipient. Because she too is a sinner in need of a Savior. Right? Get your theology right. Hers was. She knew it. A little bit later in the song she's going to sing, Mary says, we heard it earlier in the service, verse 46, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Don't look to Mary as a source of grace. A co-redeemer who can hear your prayers. No, she can't. She's not. But look to her Lord. The same Lord she trusted. The the one she came to know as God my Savior. Look to Him and know that as she found favor with God, you can too. Mary received grace from God. Which led to the next thing and that is Mary's commission from God to bear God's Holy Son. Verse 30. Again, the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. Why? Because you have found grace with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. You understand, grace not only saves us from our sin, but it also works through us to bring us into the service of God. And so here, Mary receives grace from God that equips her for the service that God intends for her, that of bearing His Son. You know, there's a couple of errors we can fall into with Mary. A couple of ways we can go wrong. First is the Catholic era of raising Mary too high, you know, to, to the point of reverence or, or even you know, prayer as a co-redeemer. Again, she's not. But then there's the Protestant error of pretty much dismissing Mary altogether as if she doesn't matter at all. But she does matter. Uh, By grace, through faith, Mary becomes the mother of our Savior. Hey, that's pretty important. And for that reason, the early church gave her a title. They called her Theotokos, uh, which means the God-bearer. Because through her faithfulness, she was used by God to bear His Son, our Savior, into the world. I mean, that deserves at least a hip-hip-hooray. You know, thank you, dear sister, for the part you played. And so we ought to give her the same kind of honor that we would give to the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, others uh, to whom we are indebted through Christ. We don't worship her, but we do honor her as a faithful sister and servant of God through whom God has chosen to bless us. And so this is her commissioning to that task. And this is commissioning language. If we had time, we'd look at other places in the Old Testament where this kind of language is used. But Gabriel commissions her to take up this place of service before God. And so he says to her, through you, there will be a promised birth. 
Verse 31, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. You will conceive. Now, the language here, again, is passive. He is not calling on Mary to go out and do something for him. He is calling on Mary to gratefully receive what God does. God will do the work. God will bring the placing of His Son into her womb. So, just a little test. What must Mary do to receive Jesus? Well, simply this. Trust God to keep His promise. Dear friend, what must you do to receive Jesus? See, some of you... Some of you need to hear this because you keep trying to make it a work. What must you do? You must trust God to keep His promise. Again, some of you really do want to make this a work or you're waiting on some kind of feeling. And I think children who grow up in the church really tend to fall into this little mind game, I think it is. As if God had said to Mary, Mary, work up some holy feelings. And that'll help. Uh, Do some holy exercises. And I'll bring this. No, he simply says, trust me in what I've promised to do. Friend, trust Christ in what he has promised to do. To save the one who trusts in him. Listen. If God placed his son in her virgin womb, without her help, all she has to do is trust, then He can place His Son in your heart by faith, and all you need to do is trust Him. Right? Stop looking for a work to do or a feeling to feel, and just believe His promise. Just believe His promise. Verse 31 again, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call His name Jesus. It's not surprising, but the language spoken to her here very much mirrors what we find back in Isaiah 7.14. Listen to it. Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call His name Emmanuel. This is no ordinary birth. It will come about by no ordinary means. A virgin girl is about to become pregnant. And the son she bears will be Emmanuel. That's his title, by the way. God with us. God who came for us to rescue us from our sins. And since he comes from God, God gets to name him. And his name, he says, will be called Jesus. Yeshua, which means God is salvation. God saves and God is sending God is saving by sending his son again he's not calling on us to do the work he is calling on us to trust the one he sends to save this will be an ordinary birth and as a result of this promised birth there will come a promised savior verse 32 and he this savior will be great And he'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Every line of these two verses is pregnant with Old Testament prophecy that is fulfilled with the coming of Jesus. 
First of all, He will be great. Now sometimes people in the Old Testament are said to be great at something. John the Baptist is to be a great prophet, verse 15 says. That is an important prophet playing an important role. But here we're not told that Jesus will be great at something. We're told that He will be great, period. Great in and of Himself. We understand that is only ever said of God in the Bible. Deuteronomy 10, verse 17, For the Lord your God is God, the God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. Titus 2, verse 13, We are waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here is our first hint at His deity. The very greatness that belongs to God alone resides in Him. Second, He will be the Son of the Most High. Verse 30. I love the Greek here. Uh, the Son of the Highestest. We can't do that in English. They do in Greek. The Highestest. And, and it's a word that is, that is only used for God Himself. Especially for God as He relates to the whole world that He has made, including us Gentiles. In fact, this word is found most often in the Bible, in the book of Psalms and in the prophecy of Daniel and also in Luke, all three places where God's absolute sovereign supremacy over all people and all nations is what is in view. And so Christ is coming as the Son and Heir of God who rules this world and everything in it and is coming with sovereign authority to deal with the mess of this world and save from it a people for Himself. Son of the Most High. Third, He will fulfill the prophecy God gave to David about a promised heir. Here's the Jewish side of things. Verse 32 continues, And the Lord God will give to Him the throne of His father David, and He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Now we looked at this last week when we were in Micah that God had promised David an heir who would reign forever. And as we saw then, the root of that prophecy is found in 2 Samuel 7, 12, and 13 where God says to David, after you die, after your days are fulfilled and you sleep with your fathers, I will raise up your seed, your offspring after you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. And He will build a house for My name and I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. That, that same prophecy is, is picked up later in Isaiah chapter 9 as it says that this child who is born to us of the increase of His government and peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And little Mary, this girl from Nazareth, is being told that her son will be that king. God is fulfilling His ancient promise through her. So that third, He will, or fourth, He will reign forever. He will reign. So, so, so this isn't just a high position that He gets to sit in. This is a mighty power He is going to exercise. Uh, he, he'll actually do something. 
This won't be one more example of a failed government with broken promises. He will actually reign. And He will reign, as 1 Corinthians 15 says, until He has put all His enemies under His feet, including death. All of God's ancient promises are about to come true. Every one of them is yes and amen in Jesus. And little Mary is hearing all this said about the son that she herself will bear. This little teenage girl. Don't you know that was mind-blowing? Her mind is blown. How? She wants to know. How will this be? She asked in verse 34. So look at Mary's dumbfounded question. How will this be? Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? Literally, since I've never known a man. I've never been intimate with anyone. I mean, she really is confused about this. Mary is, after all, a farm girl. She understands basic biology. She's in the process of preparing for marriage. Surely she and her mom have had that little talk by now. She knows that it takes a boy sheep and a girl sheep to get a baby sheep. And she's a girl. But so far there has never, ever been a boy. So how on earth can she have a baby? That's her question. I know how this works, Mr. Angel. And... The thing that has to happen first has never happened to me. I've never known a man in that way. So how can this be? Gabriel reassures her, Oh Mary, this can be because this will be a birth like no other. The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God, a a birth like no other in all of history. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The the same Holy Spirit she would have known from Genesis 1-2, the readings in the synagogue, the Holy Spirit who brooded over creation, bringing life through God's spoken word at the beginning. That same Holy Spirit now at the beginning of this new era is going to bring life to her womb when God speaks His Word and that Word will become flesh. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Look at that word overshadow. It's a callback also to Exodus 40 verse 25 where we're told the glory cloud of God's very presence, the Shekinah overshadowed overshadowed the tabernacle so that God's presence became visible and knowable as it settled upon the tabernacle. And the Most High chose to make Himself seeable, knowable, visible to His people as He began to dwell with them. Just as through Mary's womb, the Son of God Most High will become flesh, knowable, seeable, and dwell among us. By the way, John's Gospel even uses that very language in that famous passage of John 1.14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Dwelt is the word tabernacle. The Word settled upon the tabernacle of this body that we could see and interact with. And there in that body, that tabernacle, we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full 
of grace and truth. God's Son, our Savior, is about to arrive on earth through this virgin's womb. And we will see His glory. Second, Gabriel tells her, and this baby, this boy to be born, he will be like no other. Verse 35 continues, Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Holy, cut off from sin, it indicates. Sin is our problem as humanity going all the way back to Adam. We have sinned and fallen short. We are not holy. We are stained through and through with the principle of sin and the commission of sin. It runs through every molecule, everything that we are. But this Son, this gift of heaven, comes to us unstained. Therefore, He will be our sinless Savior, a perfect, spotless sacrifice, unstained, because He is the Son of God. God the Son, the heir of heaven, come down to earth. Oh, listen, be amazed at this. Be blown away by this. Mary was. (laughs) I mean, this is impossible. This is too good to be true. Except that it is true. (laughs) And because it is true, we have hope We have help from above. We have a Savior we can rely on. And so to confirm her faith, third, to confirm her faith, Gabriel gives her a confirming sign. How do you believe the impossible? You can only believe the impossible if you've got a God who is able to do the impossible. Now Zechariah, in unbelief, had asked for a sign and was silenced back in verse 15. uh, Verse 18, I'm sorry. I mean, Zechariah's was more of a... I don't believe it. (laughs) Okay, you won't speak a word until he comes. Then you'll believe it. Mary asks for no sign and yet is given one to confirm her faith. This is kindness. This is grace. Verse 36, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son... And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. So obviously Mary knows Elizabeth. That's her older cousin from down near Jerusalem. They're from different generations, but they're from the same family. She knew Elizabeth. She knew that she was old. She knew that she was barren. How many times had Mary and her family prayed that God would have mercy and give cousin Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah a child? You know they had. But God never had until now. And she receives this glad news from the angel, Cousin Elizabeth is going to have a baby. Her dead womb has been given the gift of life after all these years. I bet her heart leapt at that. And she had to put it together. Surely then, surely if God can do that, surely if He can place a baby in the womb of my barren cousin, he can place a baby in my womb as a virgin. For nothing shall be impossible with God. Verse 37 says, pretty much a quote of Genesis 18.14, by the way. Nothing shall be impossible with God. You know, most modern objections to the virgin birth... People who say it can't happen, virgin births can't happen, so therefore this didn't happen. 
most of those objections depend on taking God out of the equation. And, and so you take God out of the equation, yes, of course, I agree, there will be no virgin birth. You, you see, we, we don't just believe virgin births are rare. We know that they are impossible. That's not news to us. If there is no God, there is no virgin birth possible. And so again, as Christians, we don't believe virgin births happen every odd Thursday. What we believe is, in the beginning, God. And that changes everything. For if God is, and that is the point of this record, if God is, then virgin birth is not a problem when God chooses to make it happen. Literally, what verse 37 says, I love this, no chrema, no spoken word of God will be impossible. Right? He who speaks worlds into existence can surely speak a baby into a virgin's womb. The laws of nature which God wrote are no barrier to God's work. He put them in place to govern nature, not to limit Himself. So Mary asked, how can this be? I mean, she's no fool. How can this be? Gabriel's answer is very simple. God? God? You see, once you admit God, then keeping the promise of God is, is not a problem. Just read the Word and believe what He says. So that finally we see Mary's faith-filled submission to God's Word. Let it be to me according to your Word. Verse 38, Mary said to the angel, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your Word. And the angel departed. You want to see, you want to see Mary's importance to your faith, beyond the fact that she is the mother of Jesus, it's here in this response. When she hears God promise what is impossible to her, and not only impossible, costly, terrifying, when she hears that, she doesn't quibble. She doesn't protest. She doesn't say, well, well Lord, that, that's too hard. You're asking too much of me. What will people think? What will Joseph say? Who will believe me? I'll be an outcast. All true, by the way, as we'll see next week. She doesn't say, wait, Lord, let me pray about this first. You know, I need to decide if this really is what I want for my life. No, she simply says, I surrender all. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Look! That's what behold means. Look! I am the Lord's bondservant. Literally, I'm the Lord's slave girl. I have no ambition of my own except to be completely yours. So let it be to me as you have said. Listen, that is an act of total submission, isn't it? Whatever you ask, whatever it costs, I am yours, Lord, full surrender. Why? Because I trust your word. 
Let it be to me according to your word. By the way, it's that word rhema again. Every single word. Let your words govern all of my life. Is that your response to the Lord this morning? Is this your stance? Will you stop negotiating and just surrender all to Him? That is what's being demanded of her. It is, by the way, what is being demanded of you. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So this is where I want to leave you this morning. Will you make verse 38 your prayer to God today? Bow your heads with me and just silently to yourself. If it is your intention, just say this. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Lord, it is my prayer that every man, woman, and child who is knowledgeable to understand would have this prayer upon their lips and more importantly upon their heart in a full submission to Your will. God, we so often negotiate. We think we'll get a better deal and there's not a better deal anywhere. Full grace, complete forgiveness of sins, gracious using of weak men and women for the purpose of Your kingdom. God, would You let us see ourselves in these terms, servants, you know, douloi, bond slaves made over to you with no will of our own except that we might please our Master. And would you let us have those lives submitted on account of your Word, which is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, the, the life to our souls, because this Word brings us Jesus, the Word, to reign over us. So Lord, before we even pray that you would reign over this world in those areas that irritate us, that we would, like Mary, bow our heads and hearts and surrender these lives of ours to You. Your kingdom come, Your will be done in me, just as it is done among those who dwell in heaven. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.